Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doyouconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We are here, episode 112, with Julie and Becca. Hi. Hello. Hi, hi. It's nice to see everybody. And this is not part of story time, but Julie is the, I think, the only person on our team who has some quasi firsthand experience with with COVID. Yeah, we're dealing with it right now. My uh, sister got it. And when my mom and I were with her, and then my mom, who's almost 70, got it. And now we're dealing with some pneumonia and not fun stuff. So yeah, that's what we're dealing with right now. Somehow I avoided it. I don't know how. That is crazy. Because you were with them like you were with them the same amount of time. I was in the car with them when they were having symptoms and somehow they both ended up with it and I never got it. So I don't know how that works, but yeah, everything's okay right now. But yeah, it's a, it's a weird deal, scary thing at times. And yeah, we're just dealing with it as it comes. My inappropriate joke with her boss yesterday was that we banned her <laughs> from the, do you convert corporate offices out of an abundance of caution? <laughs> joke back was that he had kicked me out of the office for the past three years because I worked remotely for three years. So yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm starting to get a complex. Nobody wants to be around me now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's shift into story time. We got a lot to cover today. Andrew, you got some. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. There is a, a home in our little community of 24 houses. So we're, it's actually, it's, well, without making it complicated, there's two sides to the community. They have different names, but it's essentially, it's the same builder. But on our side, there's 24 houses and it's gated. There's a home that was sold before COVID started. So before quarantines even started happening. So that's March, I think. And then as soon as it happened, financing fell through, the sale of the other home fell through, and then that home became available. It was a, a built home. And then now it turned into a inventory quick moving home. It's still for sale, which is crazy, especially where I'm living. There's nothing available and nothing that's nice that is available, but it's still for sale. I drove by the other day and I sent a picture in Slack to the rest of the team. There were six signs in the yard and the house <laughs> is like in the middle of the, the neighborhood. So like you would not see it unless you knew the home was there. It's not off a street that you would turn on to drive by. So there's no like drive by traffic for people just Oh, look at this. I look what I found. I'm like, why yeah. are they doing this sign? So then I looked online. Well, now you're exaggerating, first of all. We can't let you get away with this. <laughs> oh, They're shoot. not all signs. Two of them they? were flag know. banners, right? <laughs> Waving flags. They're like 12 feet uh, tall. <laughs> on either side of the driveway. On either side. Because one's and, not enough. And three of those signs say the same thing, right? Yeah, what, Basically, yeah, we're open say? or available. We're open, available. Um, nothing about the home, like four bedroom, three bath. 2,800 square feet, just pretty much contact us, I think is what it was, had the phone number, mm-hmm. whatnot. So it's interesting. So I looked online because I, I know this community inside and out because I live there. There's a few things goofy about this. So our side of the community has a different name than the community name on the website. So the south side of the community is called Estates. The north side is called Preserve. But mm-hmm. then the quick move-in home is assigned under the estate side. So if you drive to this, you'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to turn south and go to the states. because the model is probably at... The model is closed and the model is sold. Mm-hmm. And on, both, on both sides of the street? 
they there only have no one mo- model. So they shared a model between uh-huh. because it's like there's no right. like right, right or anything. It's just Okay, well, I thought maybe the model was on the estate side, and so that's why they decided no, they to stick never, it in there. Okay, we wanted so them that's... to build one over there, but they wouldn't because <laughs> we wanted them to close the gate, and that the gate is still not closed during the day. Um, so a little sticking point with us. We're like, sell this house so we could get the gate closed because people just drive around like, oh, look at these houses. These look nice. We're like, hi, we live here. We're not the zoo. Like, <laughs> get out. And then if you look at, look at the quick moving home on the site, you really wouldn't think it's built yet. Right. Yeah. It no, it's just unique. rendering. Yeah. There's a floor plan gallery, but they're There's all no representative images. Think. These are not the so house. Those are the, we're looking at it together while we're talking about it. that. That is the stage model home images. This, this looks nothing like the actual home available. Same mm-hmm. floor plan, but much. But not lower. as nice. Not as nice. Yeah. Because you? Becca, your comment was uh, a house of this price point. I'd want backsplashes in this picture yeah. of the model has backsplashes. So you're setting your expectation like the setup of this house is like, oh, oh, that's not bad. That's pretty good for all this in a house. Yeah, and then you can get away with that. Certainly while it's under construction, but you said this home's been yeah, completely done for how long now? I think four months it's been Ooh. done, done, but then on Zillow, they have the pictures. So this is where it's, it's weird <laughs> on Zillow. There's the real pictures, but then on Zillow, it's in the wrong location because oh, Zillow no. doesn't know the address. And then it's on a location you would not want to live. But you guys but, know how they can solve this problem. They should real fast, they, right? They should just send an email four months ago. To the no, you people, just right? add six more signs. Oh, you need oh, yeah. more signs. True. Taller, bigger, Taller. maybe some colors that are off bil- brand just to catch billboard. the eye. Like mm-hmm. what if you know the builder's colors are black and yellow? We should add red to the mixture because oh. red is like a stop sign. And so when like people yes. drive by, they will stop and look at it. Ooh, ooh. And we should start having signs like at least a mile and a half away at from the neighborhood to lead into the neighborhood. They should. Yes. That'd be great. Let's do it. Maybe I'll do it. I'll go get my realtor's uh, license real quick and then try to sell it and get the commission. Will that oh, work? Boy. Well, oh, boy. This is no, not my actual story time, but I, I was doing an analysis for someone yesterday and um, this is a multi-division builder. And one of their divisions had had, had almost fifty percent of their entire marketing budget dedicated to signage. Oh, so maybe it's okay. this builder we're talking about. I can't confirm or deny, but <laughs> it might that's be a lot of signage. That's a lot of signage, or a little wow. budget, or wait. I guess you could. You my my very <laughs> uh, statistical feedback to them was, "You really love your signs." That was my. That's accurate. That's that was my feedback. <laughs> Becca, what do you got? Oh, man. So my parents bought a house right as COVID hit. And they kind of were going to go back in and look at it and renovate the house a little bit. But obviously, they couldn't go back to Arizona. And so now no. they're kind of like, you know, learning to live with COVID. And instead of going back or putting everything on pause... They're moving forward with um, the renovations, but they're working with the designer who's sending them pictures. It's all remote. Of like selections. This. Wow. Yeah. And it's just a, like a vacation home, second home, or just like yeah, a seasonal. Yeah, it's a vacation home. Okay. Yeah. And because they're from what state? Maine, so they don't huh. like That's the Maine. Flight. Can you not invite? We need to yeah. have a do you convert picnic. I've, yeah. The only states in the continental United States that I've not been to are. Idaho, Oregon, Maine, Maine, Maine New Hampshire, Vermont. 
Okay, so, but none of those are good to go except for like two weeks at the end of July. Well, and we just need to plan it in advance. In the, yeah. But I, th- I think a do you convert picnic in Maine where yeah. we can have some lobster or something? Sounds... Oh, yeah, that's doable. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so they're working with this designer and going back and forth about selections. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, like, we have technology, like, why can't we just put it in a program and have it pop out on the screen in front of them where they can make changes and, and just build it themselves? Yeah. Because they're not doing like structural changes where she's like, <laughs> no, it's all it's cosmetic. Just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I still think there. what's interesting too is that they're moving forward, that they're not, they're not just stuck. They're, yeah. they're doing what they can to keep it moving, moving along. Yeah, because they want to go this winter when it's terrible in Maine. Mm. They want to be able to have some bathrooms and a kitchen in their gotcha, house. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's a spoiled perspective to want to have both of those things. They just need <laughs> to know, pick right? one. It's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I, when you were telling me about this right before we started, it just it's interesting that I was listening to another news report. I don't remember the, the part of the country, but... You know, the, the virus counts are increasing, but consumer behavior hasn't changed this time around. I think they said yeah. it was basically flat, maybe down 5%. Florida. And so you think about, and, and Mike has told this story before on, on leadership calls and is, you know, originally it was home builders are like restaurants. And so great, we've got takeout. Of course you do. But yeah. originally takeout was the bartender taking, answering the phone, taking the order and putting it next to the bar for you to get it. And so two, three months into this, if that's still your takeout policy, you're screwed. Like you haven't adapted enough of your resources to figure out how to do takeout well. Maybe I talked about this or not. There's this really great restaurant called Local Roots in town. And we got takeout from them. It was awful. They they literally just took brown boxes and threw everything that goes in the meal in the box. And so like my kids (laughs) had steak bits and french fries and something else and, and coleslaw maybe and it was a meal a kid's meal it's just all mm-hmm. thrown in there and so by the time you get it home it's all just mixed around my wife had a salad and something else it's all in the it was just like who thought this was okay for a, a rather higher end i'm at the, I'm on site, on like the food looks really nice you think that that they have more care based on yeah. the website yeah. and i've also yeah. thought about how McDonald's is apparently struggling in the pandemic now because they haven't hmm. figured out how to how to change consumer. Like before, a lot of people still went into a McDonald's restaurant. Mm-hmm. The drive-through has always been slow. We talked, I think, a couple weeks ago about how Chick Fil A fixed their drive-through problem, <laughs> and and so now Chick Fil A is selling more. A friend of mine, uh, his son works at, at a Chick Fil A nearby, and they continue to have the best months in company history right now. Because the thing that is the most effective part of their entire operation is the drive-through. Yeah. So yeah, they have you know mobile ordering and and all the rest of that, but the drive-through is efficient. Whereas you, I went to a McDonald's yesterday and I have no idea why. I just thought Big Mac got to do it, man. And I get Jack. in the line <laughs> and it's just slow as molasses, and they have a limited that menu. And so of course McDonald's can't do well because if they're <laughs> stuck with drive-through only, they never fix. They haven't they haven't adjusted how that drive-through operates. Which yeah. is also weird yeah. because couldn't they just look at how Chick-fil-A does it and say, huh, that works. It is. I think that <laughs> yeah, could also that. show like the culture of, of each and like the, because I think Chick-fil-A owners, like you are expected to be the most dedicated person to your yeah, restaurant. The, the joke is that you have a better chance of getting into heaven than owning a Chick-fil-A franchise. Yeah, I think it, 
And so just who they, cause, and they're there working, so they don't know hire who. Like no getting into heaven them. without the help of God, I think that's the go. point. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So anyway, Moving on. we're trying now. to figure out how this is not normal yet. This is not where yeah. things are settling, but we are in general, all becoming more accustomed to doing more online than we ever have before. We're certainly hopefully used to wearing masks at this point. We're just trying to figure out how to get done what we need to get done versus just putting everything on pause. And that's, I think that's a good Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. I think, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. My story time. First, I talked about the signs, but my other one is kind of looped into this. Again, we talked about why Chick-fil-A fixed their drive-thru why Starbucks started mobile ordering and created the app was all to improve the line. And um, my philosophical question is first, can we really have too many leads? Really? Are we sure? Because I think we say yes sometimes and then we wink at each other and say, but I'm, I'm beating my metric. So, But the, a gentleman named Billy Akofu, I think I'm saying that correctly, works for leading real estate companies of the world. And his wife, Karen, also is in the real estate industry. And they posted about a visit to a new home builder. So I'm just going to read a couple portions of their experience here. So here's the setup so that you can follow along to this extended story time segment. <laughs> uh, Billy and Karen are the, are the home shoppers. And they go to visit a new home community where in the sales office, there's apparently two different offices in the sales office setup. So typically, it sounds like there's only one salesperson who works here. But there happens to be two salespeople both working in different offices when they arrive. So he's going to talk about salesperson one, salesperson two, and one is the primary one's kind of the secondary happens to be there. So again, they're, they're in real estate. They, they know what to expect. They show up at the community. A sales rep comes out and greets them. Uh, gives them some quick information about the area. Says, go ahead and take a look at the model home. Let us know if you have any questions. They go through the tour. He comes back, uh, or they come back into the sales office, and the full-time sales rep is busy with other customers. And so he kind of motions to them and says, "Hey, the guy next door in the other in the other office will help you. Uh, I, these people are here first, and so we understand." They're like, "No big deal. Everyone's busy. We got it." So the person originally greeted them, who's apparently only there to do paperwork or do something else, maybe just help out, is not really that interested in helping them. And they can read it from his body language. So he comes out and says, hey, this isn't really my neighborhood. It's this other guy's. And so I don't know if I can help you, but let's, let's just see how this goes. They talk about their price point. And I think this is very interesting. They share their price point desire and want to see what else is available to walk through. And the sales rep, again, who's this is not his community, says, yeah, well, with that price, I'm reading it now in my... Uh, emotive voice. voice. Yeah. That's going to be difficult to do in this community, but maybe in another community. And then in parentheses, he says, or yeah, in parentheses, he says, we already knew this coming in. And this is just sales 101. Customers all know the price point of your community when they come in. So if they say the lower end of that price point, they already know it. And it, normally what, what we have to do as trainers or consultants or coaches, whatever, is convince salespeople that this is the case. And so here we're hearing from the customer's own voice saying, trust us, we already knew. And so don't belittle us by saying this might be tough. Like We did our research. We're here for, for a reason. Just help us. 
And so then after he, he kind of poo-poos the idea that they'll be able to afford the community, he says, look, just go ahead and call this other guy back and schedule a virtual appointment with him. Interesting, right? right? They're already there in person. They're there. And they're mm-hmm. like, hey, come back and do a virtual thing. It's not even like come back for a real appointment because you might not be able to afford this place. Uh, you should just do a virtual thing. That way it's more convenient for everyone. So the, the full-time salesperson chimes back in, pauses his current appointment and says, yeah, sorry, guys. Um, these people were here before you. It's been kind of a crazy day. But check your calendars. Let me know if you want to meet. I'm free Monday. And then we get home. He says, they get a call back from the guy who has welcomed them and said, this place isn't for you. But it's a pocket dial, basically. And then he calls back again. His wife says, yeah, we have the card to schedule the virtual appointment. But why is, why is salesperson num- number one, who this is in his community, the one doing the follow-up? I, I don't understand that either. Mm-hmm. They call great. back again, 10 minutes later. He starts talking and she's like, we just talked to you. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. So, and, and the customer says, do you know why? And this is all on Facebook. Do you know why? Because he was busy. So, and he says a couple things. Neither salespeople really asked us for true information or wanted to understand our needs as customers at all. The sales rep who called us back had no clue about who we were, nor did he really care to know. We were simply leads that came in. If you keep reminding me that you're busy, why should I believe that you'll make the time to actually service me? With all the conversations happening in our industry right now, I still think that customer service is one of those things that still needs to be addressed. And then uh, there are 36 additional comments from other people in real estate chiming in on this person's experience. And so from the salesperson's perspective, from the marketer's perspective, from the division president, from the brand with a capital B, they're like, what's the big deal? It's just a traffic unit. We're busy. Everyone's going to understand we're busy. I mean, it's a pandemic after all. What do people expect? I keep coming back to the same point almost every day right now, working with our builder partners, that what, what has happened is if they show up, if they give you contact information, they believe they are already doing business with you. That's how we need to, to be thinking about yeah. this. And this person walked out. I actually offered, I said, hey, who is this? Let's have a talk. Maybe I can help you. He's like, we're not doing business with this company, period. Wow. Wow. And then... What's really interesting is later on, it comes down to some people saying basically, welcome to new home builder land where everyone's busy all the time. Oh, uh, they even talk about, you know, whether it's just getting updates about builders, talking, getting lending information from builders. Just, just good luck. The whole, the whole. And so I, I just thought this was an interesting real life story to talk about, you know, when we send people away, when we don't give them the minimum experience that they're expecting and deserve, we are hurting, hurting our brand, hurting our reputation. And it's just not something we can completely ignore and just say, well, we talked to someone else, guys, this week who every day the online salesperson leaves and has 40 voicemails Ooh. that they have not even heard yet. I'd even... Maybe someday there will be. me out. <laughs> right? Yeah, me like too. Out of a meltdown. <laughs> That's and so the idea here is there's lots of ways to handle this. You can reduce your ad spend, certainly. And a lot of times that'll make sense. And just invest in content that will be serving you for, for years and years and years to come. Fix your website. Do something else. You can also increase the questions that you ask or require in order to make only the most determined people begin to have that customer relationship with you. So if we create a big enough 
a big enough barrier, almost wall like barrier that they have to jump over to yeah. click the button. Then that is a good thing because they can't have a bad experience with you other than saying, I don't want to fill all that out. So I'm not that interested. I don't want to fill it out. But once they fill that out, you have a, a minimum expectation that must be met. And then the, the last one is uh, more and more builders are shifting to appointment only. Billy's story on Facebook would be completely different if they were told, come in on Thursday at four o'clock, you will have a one-on-one -on -one appointment to get all your information answered. So some of this is expectation setting mm -hmm. and, and narrow. Now, we talked before, you can't have it be a two-week wait either. So you need other options. And that leads us back to technology too. Um, and I think we talked about you know, group uh, webinars or group virtual experiences for those who, who need something to fill in the gap. But man, we just can't, we can't be too casual about all the people who are having terrible experiences right now because we're thankfully very, 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 very busy. Yeah, I think on the group webinar education type things, you could do things that could then make that appointment they have with the sales agent more efficient. So they're not like, what is the structural option or like, like just things where there's less education. Mm -hmm. It could probably be controlled a little bit better too if it's a, this is our education leader for our builders, I mean, our buyers or whatever you want to call that person. And then when I go to the appointment, they're, they already know all the newbie stuff. If you've never built before, you kind of, you, that's not a barrier to your conversation. That's a good idea. All right, moving on to the news. The first article from SparkToro, too much creative marketing is stifled by attribution. This is written by Rand Fishkin, who you've heard us mention a few times before. And I'm just going to read probably about five sentences of text. So settle in, get comfortable. You're listening to a podcast. This is very meta. You are listening to a podcast. The guest describes a product that sounds compelling, alluring, something you've been looking for. What happens next? Yep, you search for it on Google. And then what? Google shows you the website for that alluring product. You click, explore the site, give them your email address, or even buy the product. Next month, the marketing team for that product analyzes where their traffic is coming from. And you see that, ta-da, visitors from Google search were the top performing cohort. That podcast you heard about them on, it's nowhere. Not on, not on the report. Sure, maybe they mentioned a specific URL to visit. But when you couldn't perfectly recall it, you searched Google. Heck, you might have even unintentionally searched Google using that URL correctly. But the search monopolist still gets the credit because you use the search bar or the Google app instead of the browser URL input. After all, Google sent you that high converting traffic, right? Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a really well-written article that just continues to explain why you do need to be well-rounded in your approach. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll just pause there because I know um, you guys have, have seen this and have some thoughts and opinions. And also maybe one position that Rand is a little bit extreme on. He definitely has a little bit of an axe to grind. Yeah, he definitely has a little Google. Google. Are you talking about hate? how he calls Google the uh, private tollway on a public highway? Yeah. <laughs> <Funny>. Yes. <laughs> Which, that, yeah, we can talk about that later because I think that's another news item. That's just what people use. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I, I do get his point. Yeah, it's interesting because we've seen this before where there's certain, like we're like, hey, can you review these analytics? And the opinions are just different. Even though the data shows this is the best one. It's like, well, it's only the best one because that is the, like what built that. You can't increase that. You can't spend more to increase 
whatever the leads or sales from that source. It's like something else was causing those. How is it not? I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, how is it not obvious? Like, that's not what you can't pull levers on that source right now to do anything. You have to do other activities to make that one. That one go up. And you can't really attribute like what's happening in your brain to what you're typing in Google. Like there's no UTM code for that. There's not. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) You know what Andrew's thinking. I don't know if we want that device just yet, but I think that that one of the interesting points he talks about is that Google hasn't done markers any favor because back in 2014, 2015, they started removing a lot of the organic keyword attribution information. So you used to be able to see all of the detail of what people were typing in. And now everything basically except for branded search terms, for the most part, show up as not provided when you're looking in analytics. So his point is, not only does this built-in process of how Google is used covering over 90% of all searches in the world, but then they also add this extra black box element to it. So even if they talked about, you know, podcast, blankety, blank, blank, and then got you there, you would have no way of identifying that information either. And I, I think three, his three main points, which, which I think will be good discussion points for us, is, is one... And this, he puts this under the subtitle, how do we combat unattributed marketing? Number one, we accept that much of marketing is non-attributable, that investments in detailed measurement often cost more than they're worth. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many yeah. times have I said that on calls? At least a thousand in the last year. And perhaps most saliently that the harder a tactic channel is to measure, the less competitive and higher ROI it usually is. Let's say that again. The harder a tactic or channel is to measure, the less competitive it is. Why would that be? Because you can't measure it. So people don't know how much it's working. You said that very nicely. I'm going to say it the not nice way. All the stupid marketers who work for the other stupid builders are just looking (laughs) at their stupid report and saying, we got everything from Google, so spend more money there. Yeah. Stupid. Yep. And, and you know, we, we've seen all sorts of different versions of this where people are spending a, a healthy investment in social media and they're not seeing the attributed conversions to social media. But at the same time that their campaigns go on or campaigns go off, organic traffic drops or rises accordingly. Same thing with paid search. Same thing with all kinds of, of different things. And so that's why the that top five ROI, the only things that we can promise you're going to get a return on your investment are what they are, is they're clearly focused enough in the right, if, as long as you do them the right way, that yep. if we know that's how people shop. It's like, we don't have to pretend like we're shocked that people use portals when they do their search for a home. Right? <laughs> that shouldn't be a surprising piece of information. We shouldn't be surprised that people are using social media either. They're on it. Number two, we need to intentionally dedicate real budget to serendipitous, hard-to-measure channels and tactics and justifying them using geographic and or time series-based implied attribution. I'm going to ignore the second part for the sake of complexity. The first part, I think, is really important. This goes into the one of the exercises that we have people do is list everything they do and put on a continuum of you only do this because you expect to get a sale from it or you do this because you just are doing this for branding purposes. And part of that exercise is for people to be able to visually see as they list out 
the 20 things they do or spend money on on a regular basis to say, huh, you know what? Yeah, we do nothing for brand brand ever. All we do, we're just direct marketers. That's an opportunity then. You probably should do one or two things a year that don't make sense to to Rand's (laughs) point here that do help to build the brand that do help to get your name recognition locally in your area for a specific purpose. And then same thing. Sometimes we do that exercise and, and everything's on the far brand spectrum. Well, that's equally ridiculous. So I think that's you know, intentionally dedicating real budget to serendipitous, hard to measure channels and tactics, just not the majority of the budget <laughs> or even a, a large minority, right? You, you just something, you, you got to dedicate something. And then number three, we have to get great at explaining this conundrum to the people determining where, how much, and whether we can make creative investments. That's so hard. We got to get good at telling stories with the data we have. That sounds like mm-hmm. a familiar point too. <laughs> yep. Oh, I love this article so much. It's good. I like Anything else on this one that? Uh, um, I think number two. I think the majority of builders are just like you said, more direct marketers. Mm-hmm. And they tend to just be at all extreme one way or the other. Yeah. I, I think of a few examples. I'm like, she should just spend like two grand a month on her, her company with what she does. And mm-hmm. that'd be amazing because she's so heavily weighted on the hard to measure. Oh, you're talking about Elena, Elena money. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about Elena money. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that'd be awesome. Like people would be like, this is perfect. This is what I want in a builder. This is what I expect the experience to be like. Right. What they build her. Yeah. yeah I like them. The part where he was talking about how the organic Google should not be just explained as natural. It should be explained as a combination of those unmeasurable tactics. That's That's almost like the, it's the result of all your other activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not just like, eh, whatever, I don't even know. It's uncontrollable. Including Andrew, including potentially, we have to give the potential, right? Including those six signs in front of your model home. Yes. That is true. That could cause someone to do a search. <laughs> That's true. So spend a lot on signs and then look at it. Or so his this might be a good way to explain the geographic time-based series. Put the signs out today in XYZ communities. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's the only change. So that's the trick. You can have no other variables whatsoever. Put them out there and then keep it running for two weeks. Turn it off. Keep that running for two weeks or whatever time frame. And then you could just, then there's your data yeah, set. Your, yep. The yep. Geographic Google searches and, change. Yeah. It's how your Google search and that's where those top five things come from. All the builders we work with, all the different kinds of builders, different geographies, those are the five things that we know are going to give you a return on your investment. And also because we know that's how people search. Awesome. All right. Moving on to the next one from Forbes. I didn't write this. I didn't pay, pay to be part you of the didn't. Forbes Council, but I thought this was a this was a good one. <laughs> Home sales are on fire and being done like never before. Written by Jennifer Castenson, a contributor. I don't know if that means uh, she paid to be able to contribute or what. But I don't know. Um, there's some names in here from people we know. We're not going to say those names because that's not really the point. But it's, I don't fault the people being interviewed for this piece. As much as I, I just think this one's cute with a lowercase c. It's a cute article because mm-hmm. it's being written from the perspective of look at all the cool innovation that builders are doing. And literally everything in this list, builders have been doing for almost a decade, sometimes longer, sometimes just less than a decade. Kind of, a, this might be me, but you kind of expect the time stamp on there to not be 2020, but like, oh, this is 20. <laughs> 
2008, 2008 or like or whatever year it is. Like, yeah. Like listen to this quote. Almost half of the net orders in the second quarter were captured via virtual and one-on-one appointments with an online sales team, which is up more than 20% from the first quarter. Well, it better be. I mean, that, okay. <laughs> Plus that growth is during the company's second largest historical sales month. Um, so they're, they're, they're talking about this appointment-driven process using online salespeople and how miraculous this is. Mm, that's been around a long time. Then they talk about... Now, now there are some cool examples of specific tools that were created to allow people to assemble. This is kind of what you were talking about, Careful. Becca. Like, why don't we have yeah. more of this? I know. The rendering house style mm-hmm. tool um, that, that lets you change services, countertops, cabinets, uh, maybe see pricing of those things. And what's interesting is, again, the, the journalist uses um, the build your home tool from mm. Van did, Meter. Did you guys play with that? Oh, I played with it for about 10 seconds. It took longer to load than I played with it. it and did. Van Meter, it's not because I don't like, dislike the tool, but based upon how the journalist was talking about it, I was like, this is going to be some miraculous yes, thing. Yes, better than what I've experienced. And it's the, same, that, that's what the, it's the same thing that has been around. Now, they did a better job, I think, of packaging it. Like the whole the UI was a oh, little bit smarter. It's super easy. Um, yeah. it, it, was, it was more slick. It was more packaged for your average consumer to understand what's happening. But it wasn't build your own house. It was, no. as we've talked about for the last five years at the summit, <laughs> a representative sample of kitchens and bathrooms that you can play with to get an idea of what is possible. Yep. Yes. Like it's not every option. It's not every bathroom. It's not build your own home online. I'm terrible with names because I don't have to stay up with this stuff. But John at Rendering House, his will pull in the actual available floor. Yes. That available cabinet. So this was just, yeah. and maybe this is what's available with the builder, but it was like cocoa. You're like, okay, that's, or espresso, whatever the color was. Not, not brand or, names as much. But not, saying, yeah, yeah, not the brand, not the color. So you could be like, I want this one because I love it. Yeah. That was, yeah. I was expecting it to be because I think it was a on your lot builder, a bit more customizable. Well, I think sometimes the builders peel out that brand stuff so that people can't go pricing it on the internet. It's crazy. You yeah. think they, uh, I feel like someone would be like, they need to do the opposite. And Tim, Rethlick would be like, you need to encourage the brand education and pick better, better products in your home so that they want that brand. Yeah. So this isn't, it's not fake news. This stuff is happening, but the the hyper hyperbole around all this is (laughs) it's just fun. And and like I said, very cute to see the outside world saying, look at how innovative these builders are. And we're kind of like, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's one of those solutions that help you keep going or stop the pause and start living with COVID, I think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's, it's not those, none of the things that they talk about are, are good. They're great. I don't, I still don't know. I mean, every builder we've ever worked with, I've said, you know, it would be awesome because they'll say, what kind of content should we do next? You should do three representative kitchens, three representative bathrooms. Yeah. You don't have to do them all. Just the basic shapes of the kitchens, let people play around with it. And if you had done that, you could have been part of this Forbes article instead of Van Meter. Van Meter did it. So I give Fine. you credit, Van Meter, for doing it. That's awesome. Good job. Good job. And they built it themselves with video game designers. I'm getting retargeted, yeah. Andrew, from your builder constantly because we looked at that one. I mean, they so have a- turn down the retargeting <laughs> okay. and Can fix your content is a, the other. I want to say they have a ad. I don't know if I want to say it out loud because it's, it's one I sent you, Becca, the other day. It's a display ad on GDN. Can I say it? I don't know. I feel mean. I don't remember. I have permission. It said, 
you okay, I'll say and we could edit out if we want. Uniquely built homes oh. worth a second look or something like that. I'm like, this is the most desperate feeling. Like uniquely unique, built homes. We don't worth use that word. Look. Uniquely built. I'm thinking about my experience with our well, that's what you think paper. of when you think of a production builder. So let's pause for a second and just say okay. that it's not aligned with who they are. It's not a, every house is not unique. Mm -mm. Probably shouldn't use the word unique. And now every location is unique. Every location is unique. But worth a second look. I feel like that's weird. Like it wasn't worth the first look. You're, back second. you're judging oh, no. for somebody else. Instead well, they're of also them. promising that you're going to see something different than a rendering and representative photo. So I would imagine <laughs> that is, that is very true. Cause that's not it worth was, the second look we've been it was weird, But they, they got their display going on. Yeah. Display all, right, okay. yeah all anyway. over the place. <laughs> Next article is from the observer.com or observer.com. And yesterday the four tech CEOs all were, had their hearings. And the headline here is Google CEO Sundar Pichai struggles to defend monopoly and big tech hearing. What was interesting. This is Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Google, or Alphabet, parent company of Google, Who run all the world. on the hearing. And everyone thought, there was just tons of chatter about this before it happened. And everyone thought, oh man, uh, Amazon's going to get a pass because at the end of the day, Jeff Bezos has so many people spending so much time and money in Washington. He owns the Washington Post. They're just going to kind of give him a pass. Google, I mean, they're responding to what people type in. So in this super political environment, you know, Facebook, you're screwed. And, and so Apple, you're going to get a pass. Amazon, you're going to slap on the wrist because you do so much business. But they thought Mark was just going to get trashed again as the CEO of Facebook. And I agree with this, this article that um, I think Google slash Alphabet had it the worst. They came at, I mean, of 140 interactions, I think, some, there was just a huge number of questions. And the vast majority were accusational, threatening, you guys are evil. And the re end result that they said of this year-long investigation is that the committee's recommendation is that these companies are monopolies and something needs to be done. I feel so weird about that. Not weird. You feel weird? I feel weird. I feel weird. I feel... Weird's a weird word. I feel <laughs> uneducated about that. Because I know that is a, it's a very complex question and accusation because there mm -hmm. are options, but the options are not good enough to be options. Yeah. And yeah. is that Google's fault? And really like who wants know. to search multiple places in the internet to find the same thing? Like the internet itself is really yeah. built to be used from one platform. Well, last time that Mark was had these hearings, I think we played sound clips of it. And mm -hmm. and like the guy was like, Well, how exactly do you make money, Mark? Oh, yeah. And he's like, Senator, ads. we sell ads. That's <laughs> so that was this is a completely different experience this time. They had much better questions. Good. The article talks about, you know, as of June twenty twenty, Google owns more than ninety percent of the global online search market, making it a monopoly by strict definition. Mm -hmm. And yet Pachai and and as you said, there are other options. But what Google has done is reduce the amount of, of traffic off of Google. And that's why this, all these news stories and story times kind of run together this week. That's why Rand hates Google so much, is that Google has taken more and more of its content and wants to give you the answer to many of your questions on Google so that you don't have to go to another website where you might find that your search experience for a particular topic 
is better. And so if they can just keep you on Google and keep you clicking on Google, the likelihood is that you will make Google, Google more money and eventually click on an ad. And so that's part of it. The other part is, and they grilled everyone, but again, Google got a lot of this, was acquiring competing companies when they are, you know, as, as venture capitalists call it, in the crib. So the baby's in the crib and they don't kill the baby per se, but they buy it and then just shutter the technology or let the company essentially go dark so that there is no other competitor for them to do business with. And again, most of the post-analysis said that Google probably is the most likely to end up being broken up in some form or fashion. And that's where if YouTube and Google are forced to go into to become two different companies, maybe you know, day one, YouTube comes into search and Google says, we better get into video. And already you've got a number one and two search engines in the world now directly competing against each other. So yeah, interesting. It's, oh, it's it's yeah, weird one. Yeah, and, and Mark, of course, YouTube is like, still YouTube. Like it's it. I know it's the it's a search engine for videos, but it's also its own content medium, like YouTube. Like that videos are on YouTube. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's exactly. where videos are. You don't mm-hmm. go to Vimeo or whatever to look at videos. Most normal people don't. Yeah, but uh, once Google got in the business, then Google would take their money that they have of being a large organization and say, you know what, forget self-driving cars for a year. We're going to build out a video platform that is even better, pay more creators, pay the creators more money to leave YouTube, come to our platform. You know, it at least creates some more competition for it. But uh, ironically, the stocks of, I think, all four companies went higher. So it's like nothing's (laughs) really going to happen until the election anyway. Ooh, that's getting delayed though, right? Not just the election? Oh gosh, no. Wait, I mean, if, if we won't start that conversation here. How <laughs> to read all about that. The only thing, I think we've even talked about this in Slack or on our family calls together. Whatnot. You know, if you thought the first half of 2020 sucked, just get ready. And, it's not getting that. And my brother, even yesterday, it was his birthday. I was at his house and he's like, really? You think the second? I was like, yes, Kent, there's an election coming. He's like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the second half. So if that the election cannot go into twenty twenty one because then we're we're certainly going to have another cursed year. I think some some land in Montana sounds really nice or something way up there. What do you think? Yeah, mm-hmm. I got off of Twitter during the last election, and I had just now kind of ramped back up into Twitter, and oh, no. I may have to give it up again. <laughs> yeah, Julie. It's a yeah. Um, my family's been gone this week. I have a hard time sleeping when I'm traveling because no one, there's no one there to say go to bed. I have a hard time sleeping when they're gone, obviously. So I was already, I was like, okay, tonight's night I get to bed early. And then I see a tweet from Julie about scary movies you saw as a kid that freaked you out. What were your oh. scary movies? Labyrinth was one of them. Labyrinth was what Willy Wonka movie. and the Chocolate Factory because the tunnel what? scene. The tunnel scene. The tunnel yeah. scene freaked oh. me out. That and then creepy. the other was Amityville Horror because my older sister watched it with her friend and I tried to watch it with them. And yeah, oh no. someone really didn't I, like you. I've still out. never seen that movie. Well, <laughs> let's let's lighten the mood here with our last news story from medium.com, the place made famous for the CEO of Amazon fighting back against leaked photos of his private parts. Uh, Amazon <laughs> accidentally sent out their email template and here's what you can learn from oh. it. So what, what, what actually got sent out here? Give everyone a description, Andrew. Okay. The, a kind of like a wireframe, if you're familiar with that term of their email template. So it's got the blocks available. Then it talks about the headline, this paragraph, that paragraph, <laughs> the CTA. How in the write, CTA, how uh, again, it's, it's a building block. It says, <laughs> enter a compelling CTA, i.e. not 
click here. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> Genius. So whoever made this, I, I, they had some humor, but they also somehow in the email, like they educated you on how to write the email. It's probably foolproof. I can imagine their successful email rate after you, they started using this went up. Yeah. I was going to say, if you don't send the blank template. If you don't send the template out. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's the first thing I thought as somebody who had sent out a lot of mass mails, like, oh my gosh, how how awful to be that person who realized you sent that out to Amazon's um, mailing list. I sent it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I want to go back to your point about educating with the copy. I think that's awesome. So the, the, it says, this sentence has five words. Here are five more words. Five word sentences are fine but several together become monotonous. Listen to what is happening. The writing is getting boring. The sound of it drones. The ear demands variety. Those were all five. That's insane. Those are all five word sentences. And, five. and so they're teaching, you know, this large number of employees that Amazon has how to, how to do the basics well. So this ended up somehow on Reddit and, and got 76,500 upvotes in a short matter of time, but it even shows their colors um, that they want in there. Very but, cool. It's just like a sneaky way too to get like I'm, I mean Amazon ranks really well in or, organic SEO like mm -hmm. where they are, but like this obviously gets them a lot of links to their site if we're thinking about like SEO tactics or like when they have the Amazon drone delivery, like just being out there helps sell more product, even though they're not talking about more product. Yep, yep. Just but yeah, Julie, can you feel? Can you imagine the poor person who? <laughs> leaked this to the world accidentally yep. the feeling of pain and it's not like there's any trade secrets in there but you know oops but yeah they're pretty smart how they set it up and how they how they think about it just you know remind you when you're putting together what's your hundred you know templated mass email just to give it some thought before you just shoot it out into the world all right, that'll do it for the news. We'll take a quick break and we come back. We're going to sit down with Don Dantzler, the marketing director for Tilson Homes and On Your Lot Builder. So it'll be a little different to hear how that side of the business works for many of you, but there's a ton of great learning lessons that Don has to share about building a true community and making it possible for your customers to be your best asset. We'll be right back. And we're back with Don Dantzler, the Director of Marketing for Tilson Homes. Don, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Don, you work for a different kind of builder than we've yes, ever had on the show before. Something that I'm sure people, when they hear it, they'll be like, oh, that's kind of... That's basically the same. Just one little difference. And or I'm, they're like, that's cute. You only build a couple homes. And <laughs> I've invited you here to set the record straight. So tell everyone what kind of home builder Tilson is. So we are exclusively build on your lot. Um, so scattered sites, primarily throughout all the rural areas of Texas. And Texas is a small state, so you must not Tiny. do very many homes. How, yeah, we, we only build in 138 counties. It's real, real <laughs> cute, small footprint. And yeah, we're, we're targeting selling about 500 this year. We're going to sell a little bit more than that um, just yeah. because of everything that's going on. But yeah, we, we, well, do, uh, we do a good little bit of business. A couple of weeks ago, we decided we're not going to call it the pandemic anymore. We're just going to call it the best housing market ever because we still will know like they're, they're inevitably linked from this point forward. Uh, so how long has Tilson been around? 
and been in business since 1932. It's a family-owned company, and the original family is still in leadership and, and actively running the company. 1932. So Tilson has almost, just barely, missed the first pandemic with the Spanish flu. Right. But we did go through the first depression, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's when it was founded. So you weren't there then, though. So we can't. No, I was not. Go too deep into that. So t- talk to us about build on your lot. For my recollection, not my recollection, but my experience has been uh, my very first production manager that I worked with when I was at Miranda in Columbus started and build on your lot, and he used to tell me all the time, Kevin, I'm just telling you, the amount of effort and energy it takes is about three times. So whenever someone tells you, well, we build ten build on your lot homes a year, that equals. 30 in terms of the amount of energy that's required because you don't have the con- convenience of things being so much closer together. Plus, you've got development of the land itself. Mm-hmm. But talk to us about some of the misconceptions that people have, maybe even sometimes do you convert as when we talk to you, that you've had to help us better understand in the On Your Lot world that makes it different. So, I mean, really everything's different because we don't know what we're going to come across. Like you mentioned, there's been, in a lot of cases, zero site prep. So we have to actually help the customer navigate exactly how to prep that land because you also have the added complication of the builder not owning the property. Mm. So there are things that we have to actually rely on the customer to do and we have to hold their hand. There's certain counties where we can't even apply for the building permit if there is one. We we can escort them to the courthouse, but they have to go file the paperwork. They're the ones that have to get utility. They have to apply for a 911 address, just all these various things. There's some counties that'll let them give us like a limited power of attorney so that we can do those things. Um, but there are a lot of places where we, we can't. So we have to help them through that. You also get the added benefit of imagine if your customer was actually living 20 feet from your build site and watching everything your crews do. <laughs> that is a real thing that happens all the time because um, yeah. we're dealing with it was so cute. We we had a video yesterday and one of our customers is like, oh, we just own a little 500 acre plot out here. <laughs> so you know, there are plenty of room for them to have multiple buildings out there. So they're, they're watching our every move. So that's complicated. And it just, there's a lot of education involved. And the customer, at least in the past, tends to shop longer yeah. than they would for a spec home because there's no there's no sense of urgency on the part of the customer. They already own the land. So no one else is going to build on that piece of property. And I also really like... As a landowner myself, I only have... uh, I mean, compared to the 500, I only have seven acres. But you have this sense of, I don't want to screw this up because I'm not just screwing up my house. Like I can always go build another house. But if I screw this up on my land... Well, now I've screwed up both things. And so that right. for, for us has been one of the things that's like, okay, we think we're ready. Are we ready? Because you don't get a second chance at this one unless, you know, it well, abs- you, you research a lot deeper <laughs> into who's building your home because of that. You like, you already own that land. If, if I'm building in a, you know, planned community, if I don't like what the builder did when we get to the end, like maybe I give up my earnest money. Right. In our situation, that could be the piece of property that's been in your family for hundreds of years. Like yep. if you have a, a disagreement with that builder, like you like you said, you've messed up them both. Um, yeah. so. so it seems like you said two things there that I want to pull out a little bit more. First was that the customer is much more involved. Mm-hmm. And that alone seems like it would make it three times more complicated. Uh, the second is that things must just go slower in general. 
in terms oh, of time frame. And you mentioned shopping. I guess we should start there. But typical time frames that that we think about in the in the community world seems like again about three times longer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Our guesstimate was ninety days because I think you know we we talk about. I, mean, I we've had people as long as 15, 20 years. They've so been crazy. talking to us before they decide to build. They really plan ahead. But typically, we look at 90 days before we sign a contract. Uh-huh. From, the so, time, yes. from the time they interact with you From the time person. they first give us their name and, and wow. come and visit us. There's just a lot more, lot more involved. So that makes the sales and marketing discussion and analysis sometimes harder too. Uh, we yes. work with four different On Your Life builders currently. And that was definitely... And by the way, I guess I should tell the audience, I used to be involved with when I was at Heartland, we the second or the sorry, the third largest home building company in Pittsburgh, number one was Ryan, number two was Heartland, and number three was Heartland Everywhere, which is our on your lot division. And we had two of the three largest home building companies there. So I had quite a bit of experience working with that team. But you know, it was 70 homes a year compared to the other 390 coming from the community business. And so the analysis never really happened. We always thought about that business as like each customer was so unique and different that it was like one at a time and we felt like we were building off of our core brand. So I didn't have to do the same type of in-depth analysis of the business that you have to do, Don, and others do. It makes it really hard because you start making a change and you can't... Your final measurement of mm-hmm. sales results, you may not be able to see that for a quarter of yeah, the year. You're, you're waiting... Three, sometimes to up to six months, depending upon how the market's moving at the time. To and that was see hard. What just, you did. I, I'm letting the 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 audience into the because normally at convert we we hop in and we see the hockey puck moving and we're like, yeah, this is awesome. We're making change. And with we had two on your, larger on your lot builders join us at the same time, and it was kind of like, what's going on? We, you know, <laughs> are, have we lost it? Do we not understand home building anymore? And you guys are like, just wait a minute. Like, Just wait. Chill out. Just wait. It's kind of like going anywhere in Texas. My aunt and uncle live in Austin with my 11 cousins. And anywhere we went, they're like, we're going around the corner. We'd be there in an hour. Mm-hmm. We're going to Dairy Queen. We'll be there in an hour. So I guess you just learn to be more patient in Texas yeah. too. That's a bad And you, you learn to travel. Um. <laughs> so it takes longer. What about the the and the permitting process does that I guess sometimes in rural areas you may not have permits, which could maybe yes, be which still benefit. blows my mind coming from the East Coast that we're we're building without a permit. Um, there's no licensing requirement and you, in the you state. You said East Coast. Yes. Where where are you living? I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. And how long have you been in Charlotte, North Carolina? I've been in Charlotte for six years now. Um, prior to that, I was in the Richmond, Virginia area. Wow! So as long as you've worked with Tilson, how many years has that been? Not since 1932. Oh gosh, almost 17. What? Okay. <laughs> I think that's... You, we're, we're tied then for how long we've been in, in home building. Um, and you've never lived in Texas? No. Well, okay. Technically, I lived in Texas. I was born there. So I was there until I was 18 months old. That means you have a Texas star in your house somewhere, right? I actually do not. <laughs> I don't think you're officially a Texan. They're going to give me a hard time. Hey, do you have we, something we in your counts. house in the shape of Texas? Like a cutting board oh, I'm sure or I do. a cookie cutter? Okay. I've, I've got... There's Are the chilies on your Christmas tree? You Say what? Hot, do you put red chili peppers on your Christmas tree? No. Oh. I have a pickle. We have the yes, German that's pickle Texas thing. Yes, that's Texas too. Yep, we do the pickle. <laughs> okay, because my aunt and uncle gave my kids the, the pickle. Yep. That's a hide and seek game you play. Yeah. Where you hide the pickle on the tree and the kids have to find it. Yep. 
that was actually invented by Woolworths. They they told them that it they pretended it was this big tradition, but the reality is somebody ordered too many pickle ornaments and they had to move them. <laughs> I love it, Don. Your your sarcasm is matched only by your little bits of random trivia, trivia. information. Yes, <laughs> I love it. That, that that's fantastic. So you don't live in Texas. You haven't I lived in not. Texas in a long time. How has that been? It's been interesting. I mean, I'm I'm definitely itching to go back. Um, prior to everything that's going on right now, to I was visit, going every mean, three weeks. You want to move? I would move pretty quickly. My family is not so inclined. Um, mm. You know, I have two daughters, one of whom is going to be a senior in high school, so oh, yeah, it was definitely that's... a no go for her when I went. You know, in inside uh, Tilson and started working for them directly. Um, I had the youngest convinced because I told her we could get a puppy, but then dad like counter moved and went and just bought the puppy anyway. So now I'm going to stalemate there too. So <laughs> that's we'll funny. have to so see. How did you get involved in home building and with Tilson? And then we'll circle back to some more on your lot craziness. So I actually started on the agency side. Um, so oh. um, I was on the... Um, strategy account service side of the agency, which I know is also different. Most of the people that you talk to who have an agency background came up on the creative side. Yep. I came up on the other side. So I was more of an Andrew. Yeah. Things are making more sense to me now. In in my agency. And one of the clients happened to be Tilson. And so I was the lead account person on the Tilson account. And at one point just decided that I'd been with the agency long enough and wanted to see what a bigger company was like. So I'd left our our smaller agency and gone to a larger company and decided that, nope, not for me. (laughs) And so at that point, I actually reached out to Eric and Eddie at Tilson and said, Hey, would you mind being a reference? And Eric called me and was like, no, um, because we're going to hire a director of marketing and it'd be easier for both of us if you just take that. And we're going to so. save more of that story for... We've, we've, we're planning a special reunion episode. Uh, this is your life with, with Eric from Tilson. Uh, Eric so and I you, are joking around that that's going to have to be like a four-part episode. because We'd we don't. love to have the two of you on together to talk more about that from his perspective and yours. But that was a... So there's been a major shift at Tilson in terms of general strategy and not mm-hmm. just because of, of Do You Convert, but over the last four years, it seems like... Television was primarily mass media in general, but television in particular, it seemed like... Yes, television was definitely the biggest biggest a, item. And, and it makes sense when you think about starting in 1932. So I, I have more empathy now too for the whole situation. When it comes to TV and billboards, I generally am, am a little bit more <laughs> dogmatic. But if you started in 1932, well, certainly radio and then television would have been. If, as long as you can afford to do it, you should because everyone's glued to that tube. Yeah, we actually, though, didn't bring TV into the mix until the mid-2000s oh. when we, we came back in. Interesting. Uh, that's when we were big enough and had the budget to do it. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember, like, our customer base is generally 5 to 10 years behind the curve as far as technology goes. So yep. at the point when everybody else was discovering the internet and, and internet marketing was really good and they were getting on social media, ours was like, I don't have Wi-Fi. Yeah, I don't have broadband. <laughs> well, like... I remember it was five years ago when we worked with our first large on your lot builder, and it was in, on the West Coast Northwest area. And they said, "Kevin, you you don't understand. Like the majority of our people, uh, when they sign the registration card and we ask for your email address, say I don't have one." Like, yeah. What? Well, and I remember getting we'd get like nasty notes through comments that like our website took too long to load. 
or you <laughs> sent me an email with too many K. images in it. BBS. Um, yeah. Like I have an right. internet limit and you, you broke it. Yeah. Um, so. Well, the television was a big part. And I remember Eric asking me questions about, you know, what do you think about that? And it's, it seems like uh, we, we might need to change a strategy. And so how much television is done now? I don't even really know. The Zero. Answer. Oh, okay. That, that's an easy number to remember. Yep. Zero. And, and all the billboards are coming down this year too. So. What? No. Yeah. See, I haven't even... You got to know each individual builder you work with. What I always tell people, you get one sacred cow... One thing that you can just look and be like, we're not going to change. And I just assumed that was... Uh... Well, I, w- I will have one. Um, and that's okay, more then. of a relationship thing because it's this really sweet guy who built the billboard for us and guaranteed <laughs> me the same rate for life. And it was actually like, I couldn't bring myself to call him and say, I'm, I'm right? not going to I'm not no, going to keep this PR. board. That's so good PR. We're, we're just going to, we'll leave that one. That's awesome. The token billboard. So back to on your lot. Talk to us about that customer interaction once the home actually starts building. Because that's already probably three years ago, we saw some of our builders in Seattle and other hot markets start saying, you know what? These customers are already annoying enough. Let's just build inventory homes and sell it to them when they're done. (laughs) So I can only imagine uh, you, you obviously can't do that. Right. Uh, how much interaction you said sometimes when it's on their own land that they're currently living on, obviously there's a lot, but I would imagine just generally speaking, they feel like they're allowed to kind of be more involved than the average buyer. They are allowed. If you if you look at our social media, you'll see we have, you know, the stage in the process, the pre-construction meeting where they're meeting their salesperson is handing them off to the builder. So they're meeting the builder superintendent, they're meeting out at the site, they're going through everything. You'll notice they have keys. We've given them the key to their invisible wow. house. So they're never locked out of the house. They always have access. And yeah, they are there all the time. We have to really keep on top of the communication of how often is the building superintendent going to be there because people feel like they see the mistake before we do because, well, you live there. Right. So it's it's not, you know, we were going to catch that that window was broken. Like you didn't Even have to just, tell I'm us, thinking but. days when people don't show up, which... We all mm-hmm. know sometimes that happens, but the layperson is like, there's no one at my house today. What am I paying you for? Get yep. it going. Yeah. I imagine that's a big challenge too. It is. You hear a lot about that, that nothing, nothing's happening. So it's really trying to keep open lines of communication. Um, <laughs> and- I remember one time in West Virginia, this, um, we were building a, a, it was about a $1.8 million home on the lake. And this gentleman got up and I was visiting, I had become the division president de facto because the other division president had resigned. And, um, and so I went down to meet him and he looked at me, got right up nose to nose and said, I want this job site to look like an ant colony lives here. I want people everywhere. I want them on top of each other. I want this all done in, in the houses, like done with framing. <laughs> I want this house done you know, in 30 days. And I was like, you, you really don't want that. Trust me. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want everyone in here all at once. We will miss everything and they will fight with each other and it will not be a good scene. But yeah, I, then that wasn't on your lot person. And I, mm-hmm. that's where some of my PTSD comes from is that particular situation. Well, they're, they're usually okay as long as there's, you know, the normal progression of, of crews. 
Honestly, our biggest complaint is making sure that our subcontractors understand you're on someone else's property, mm-hmm. clean up after yourself. Uh, that's a good um, point. Because any of that trash and stuff that you know naturally comes with a job site, this is that's their family property. You're disrespecting grandpa's land. Mm. Like you have to be really careful with what you're doing when you're out there. Well, and I think that's one of the things that I've noticed that you guys are very true to who you are, the states you build in, and who your customers are. Like there's no, it makes me smile every time you help explain to someone like, this is who my buyer is. Like you guys know them very, very, very well. Uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, the marketing you do attracts the kind of customers you get. And Mm -hmm. you guys do a ton in education. You talk a a lot about the, the family nature of the organization Lots of farm animals, which, you know, being honest, I'm not really into, but, but you've got people building houses with like integrated ho- horse stalls. Is that what you call them? I don't. <laughs> we, we've had horses actually in, in our house before flooring goes in. C- customers sent us pictures of that. It is not an uncommon conversation for guys. We like really need you to put up a fence around the house because your cows are trying to eat the HVAC um, and we can't. <laughs> We can't keep going. So you've probably seen pictures of cows very uncomfortably close to house. And these are not like little baby cute cows. These are these are cows. So they they scare our subcontractors sometimes. And that understanding translates because of the longer process. When you guys do it right, it seems like more than any other builder. And I I should have guessed this, but I I wouldn't have. More than any other builder, you guys have legit super fans. We do. I've been, that is one of the things that has surprised me most. You know, we talked about how important education is. So when all the decrees came down that we couldn't have large groups anymore, it kind of killed a big part of our marketing process, which was our in-person seminars. Cause we have to really tell our customer what's happening every phase. So that was a big part of our marketing Mm -hmm. um, to move people along is to explain the process. Here's what's going to happen. And not being able to do that. We were like, well, let's try this Facebook live thing. And yeah, we have super fans. We have guys, if we miss a week, they're asking us if we're okay. (laughs) We had somebody who had to go back to work in his actual office so he could no longer watch us live. So he checks in on us, let us know at the beginning of our live that he couldn't watch live anymore, but he'll watch it when he gets home. (laughs) And he sends me a note after everyone to let us know how we did. And you even had people conduct business. (laughs) Yes, we had somebody say, hey, we get asked all the time um, because we don't have any land. So we get asked, hey, do you know about any land? And on it, somebody happened to ask for property in an area where someone else who was watching a live had property. So we were watching this flurry of comments come up in our notes that they, they, yeah, they like cut the deal and I'm pretty sure they sold each other a property. So now we have customers coming to us saying, hey, I have property. Could you mention it and see if you could sell it for me? It's interesting. But yeah, we have, we have some super fans. Uh, which is very, it's exciting. Um, it's its great to know that we've touched their lives so much that they they love us and are recommending us to friends and are still still talking to us about what's going on. So yeah, the one that I watched, and this was maybe you'd been doing it for about a month already, but there was, it was like <laughs> growing up, we used to call them popcorn prayers. You'd be like in a group of people and someone would just take turns and like popcorn popping, just little short prayers all over. It was like popcorn testimonial time. On the Facebook yeah. Live, it was just like, I love my home. No, I love my home. Oh, can you show me a picture of your home? No, oh, I yeah. love my home the most. You guys are, wow. you know, it was just, it was amazing to see that 
Um, yeah, we've we've gotten to the point where they're actually answering each other's questions on Facebook before we can get to them. Like they're saying, "Oh no, here are the options. This is where you can put the garage on this home." And we're like, "Yeah, she's right." Yeah, it, it's just incredible to see that 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 takes place when you treat people right, and you and that's that's one of the downsides of an inventory home based process. I think it was Meritage and some other folks that I met with at the Builder Show were talking about how. That was just that was the future for them, and I get it because the opportunity is out there, and you can move a lot more units faster. But you also create no relationship with that customer if, mm-hmm. if you're basically selling them an existing home. You know your interaction time and amount in terms of t- individual times you're interacting with them is is greatly diminished, and then you're yeah. going to be in a situation like my brother Kent, who I got into home building about six years after he built his brand new home in Hilliard, Ohio, and as said. Who built your house? And he had no idea, and neither did his wife. They liked it. They had no idea. Yeah, that's that's not going to be common in a Tulsan home. I mean, we're like I said, you you've got probably at least ninety days to fifteen years upfront before they buy from us, and then we're together for at least a year between getting that home started and then getting the home finished. And then our warranty department is actually in house. So when you if you have a problem with your home within that time, you're actually calling a Tilson employee and we have a Tilson warranty team that comes uh, out. So you so, don't send out the same HVA crew you're saying or the... We will on specialized things like an HVAC, we'll send out the actual company. But if you're calling about nail pops or I don't, mm-hmm. you know, that that kind of stuff that we can we can fix. But if it's a legitimate, you don't mess with HVAC in Texas. So we'll send the actual HVAC company. Let's talk for a minute about the financing part of the business because the perception and historically, why are you laughing? I'm, because I, know, I think I know you why put us laughing, on the what not is... to do slide um, <laughs> in one of your presentations for how we, we handled our financing education. It's <laughs> awesome. But typically in an on-your-lot scenario, it's, it's again, much more difficult. You're paying mm-hmm. more money. There's potentially even multiple closings that are happening in the process, which means even more fees. Talk about Tilson's approach and and why that's worked for you. And then we can explain to everyone why we were laughing so much. So we actually... How we bill it externally is it's it's a no construction loan program. Technically, you are getting a construction loan. It's just we are the construction loan lender. And we are the worst bank in the world from the bank standpoint because it's <laughs> zero, zero down payment as long as you you have equity in your property. It's zero interest, zero payments. So the entire time of construction, they it's our money yeah. that's building that house and not the customers. So and essentially, not a you load. found this way to make it, from the customer's perspective, almost the same and still, in fact, better mm-hmm. than building a brand new home in a, in a community where you would typically put 5-10% down and then there's no payments while your home is being built. Right. And that's very uncommon in the on-your-lot world. I know of one other builder in the nation that does it. And they're, I think they're smaller than us. Um, and I only happen to know about it because they build where I live. But yeah, it's very, it's very unusual. And we do it because it's like the one competitive advantage in building that you cannot easily replicate. You know, you can't go and get the amount of, of cash that we have to be able to do that. I feel like you'd have to have a Texan-sized view on life to want to risk that much on an ongoing basis. It's essentially what you're saying. Like, I mean, you said it, but I just want to clarify. Tilson is running their own bank as well as their own home building organization. We're very bad at it, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) bad in the good way. We're not making any money on that side, but we're selling we're selling more houses. But even that is 
its own. It's a great benefit, but we have to really explain what's happening. There's a lot of education to make the customer because all of us in the building industry, you say that and they're like, what? No, that's not possible. There's no way they're doing that because we all understand what that means. And we've actually had other mortgage lenders tell our customer, there's no way. Like they're not, that's not what they're doing. You misunderstood. Yeah. Um, It it seems like something that is a bait and switch. Yeah. The reason we were laughing is because I remember at one point we were looking at a piece of content. Maybe you probably remember this better than I do. Um, we we but, did a Facebook Live um, uh-huh. to explain the program because we actually realized we'd never actually we'd never done a seminar that went into Easy Buy because usually when we talk about financing we call our preferred mortgage lenders and they do it and they talk about mortgages. So we sit down from scratch and we wrote out like what explaining Easy Buy and what the difference was in a construction loan because most of our customers don't even know what a construction loan is, so they don't understand it at all. So we had to explain that. So we actually Eric had connected this his Surface to the to live and he was actually doing math. It was a lot of math. But it was like it was like a math class in college. Being it really was. He was Facebook. talking about, you know, debt to income ratios, loan to value and breaking it down, but it's Many actually, people listening right now are like, "Oh my gosh, I hope my owner never like that would be a disaster." Well, that's cuz you don't have an Eric. And if I didn't that's have true. an Eric, I wouldn't do it. If we didn't have Eric, Eric is a family member. He came up on the sales side of the business. So he understands the customer very well. And he can just make you understand these very complicated things. He's really good at it. But it's one of our most watched pieces of content. And they're staying, they're sticking. We we did 30 minutes of math. I'm not gonna lie, it was 30 minutes of math. And everybody watches it. And once you understand, you know, we call that program Easy Buy. Once you understand Easy Buy, you're not going with another builder. No, you aren't. But no. when I saw that, I think my initial reaction was like, well, maybe we edit it down or maybe this is like something... Maybe don't do this again in a live scenario. I think that's what mm-hmm. it was. Now I'm remembering yeah, like, that's what it was. This would be a good internal, like who wants to come to a finance class? But I don't know that I'd push a 30-minute math lesson out via Facebook Live. And that was because... But they even watch I, it. Well, they, they did. But well, I didn't still... also understand the program either. I was like, yeah. okay, well, I mean, you're an on your lap builder. Of course, there's a construction loan of some kind. Or, And then Eric, in his Eric way, smiled on the call and said, we let you build a house with us for $1,000 plus your, your equity in the land. And I was like, huh? Okay, then I changed <laughs> my mind completely. That's the only thing you should ever be talking about. That's, I don't even know it. why there's anything else being discussed other than thousand dollars we build your house on your land you guys it's, will it's, it's actually 1500 so oh. but yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's definitely and that the good thing about you know the facebook lives they have a life later so mm-hmm. we you know put them all on youtube after the fact they're linked off of our website through our blog post and yeah i keep looking at that thinking we should redo it can we make it cuz the full video is actually an hour and a half there's half an hour of math and then an hour of questions which is always a good and, sign. You know, yes. Anytime you give a talk and there's a bunch of questions, that's that's a fantastic sign. Yeah, we we have done very few lives that have been under an hour because we just have so many so many questions. And there have been a few where Eric and I have just had to be like, "No, we're tired. We're sorry. We'll come back next week." <laughs> um, but yeah, I keep looking at that video and thinking we should redo it. But I don't know if we produced it. I don't think it would be any better. Um, no, probably I don't not. know. Like I just maybe maybe one day. But th- that's working. Like we're sh- we're using retargeting ads towards it. And it's actually, they're watching it. I, this, this is not a hyperbolic statement. I think more than any other company 
in terms of multiple forms of media, especially video, you guys have the most bingeable library of content out there. Oh, thank I mean, you. You were already... I mean, Eric could have his own This Old House show. There's no doubt about it. He's, <laughs> he is fantastic on camera. Explaining the construction process, you guys got that process down, all the Facebook Live. I, th- I don't know if you've ever done the math on what the total amount of video content is that you've created over the last three years, let's say. I have not. But if you had to guess, because you were on a podcast and the host asked you, <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I would bet we're we're up in the 30, 40 hours. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. At, at all. I want to shift quickly to a couple other things that I think, even if you're not an on your lot marketer, um, you'll be able to relate to in, in at least part of the experience that Don's had that I, I've been able to watch. Um, you've changed websites recently. Yes. And as part of that process, I believe, did you show pricing previously on your site publicly? We did. We had in the past, like three generations of websites ago. Um, okay, so 1984. Not in the, <laughs> not in the most recent version. So yeah, uh-huh. this this was a new addition for us this time around. And in that new edition, always people are nervous that that you're going to see big drops because oh my gosh, that's so expensive or. Just why would they reach out to us? Now they know everything they need to, to know. Talk mm-hmm. about kind of how that experience ended up happening. What was the impact in terms of... So initially, we did see a little bit of drop in quantity of leads. So mm-hmm. the lead volume dropped, which was a good thing. From what I understand from talking to you, built on your lot builders already tend to get a lot more leads um, than other builders. So my OSC team was, was handling too many. Yeah. Um, so it was actually a relief a little bit for those to go down, but they were way more qualified. We jumped from, you know, before we were having like a 20% conversion from lead to appointment, we jumped to 40% once we wow. add prices because a lot of our interaction with the leads was, hey, what's the price of this? What's the price of this? And mm-hmm. you were kind of having this awkward conversation of everybody, of course, wants your most expensive, most beautiful home. And it's out of their budget, but they don't want to tell you their budget. So you have three emails while they're trying to figure out which one they can afford. So we lost all of that interaction. And then after the first like 60 days, leads started to go back up. And now we're actually, well, I don't know how much of it is due to my beautiful website and how much of it is due to the best housing environment ever, but our leads are, are above where they've ever been. Well, and that's, that's an interesting one. I love the fact that anyone is humble in the sense of right it's it's probably mostly the market and then what we do to it and yet we just talked about this as well on a previous episode the average growth june over june across the country was somewhere around 18 19% and <laughs> yeah. so you know that that delta is one way and and they also this is from zonda um, Myers research they had the top 20 markets so you could go in there and look but the mm-hmm. number one was raleigh at 44% and um, most people are significantly over 44%, especially in the lead volume, but also in sales. Oh, yeah. Our, our lead and appointment volume is three, four we, times. We've joked between <laughs> us, and, and these jokes are actually are yours, but I, I laugh at them enough to make them feel like they're mine. You're like, I feel like my online sales team is giving away a free puppy with every appointment. How can this be happening? Yeah, I did. And at the beginning of May, I asked them, I was like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? It, <laughs> and that's was... a, surprisingly one of the things I have been asked on, on seminars that I've done publicly is, well, we're seeing all the lead count, but we're not seeing the conversion. And I don't have 
an easy non-salesy sounding response to that because I'm like, well, then you you must not be treating those online leads correctly because it's not it's not typical, it's not normal. And I, then I feel mm-hmm. I've disappointed people because they're hoping for me to say, well, that's that's what everyone's experiencing, right? You just have so many leads and no one wants to meet. I think we, you know, we are very blessed by the market that we're in that we are able to capitalize and actually turn turn those leads into appointments and sales because I know that there are, there are some markets that are struggling with that because they're getting more aspirational kind of customers coming in and and I was when I first saw the lead jump and the appointment jump I was very concerned that what mm-hmm. we were seeing was aspirational and people can't right. go to work and we're open because you know we were still an essential business so we stayed open when everything closed in the state so I'm like they got nowhere else to go they're just coming to play with yeah. us but then we actually saw people are buying faster. So we were having in that May, June time, that normal 90, 90 to 120 days or whatever we want to call our average customer, it, it shortened to 45. Wow. Um, and we were, it was not unusual to have somebody sign a contract the first day they met us. You have um, to wonder and even assume that a lot of that comes down to the emphasis on education and mm-hmm. the bingeable content that you have the lack of complexity around financing that you've created. Because one of the things that other on your lot builders, they'll always say, well, how's Tilson doing? And about two months ago, I said, just cut it out. Do you <laughs> let people build a house for $1,500? You don't have an Eric. Right? Well, it's not even Eric. I hate to tell you, but the $1,500 part really, so much of the emotional excitement can get killed when you... We didn't really define what a construction loan is. And some people mm-hmm. may be trying to Google that. Well, then you can go watch the half hour video. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're taking out a loan that slowly your payment size grows as the home gets closer to completion. So from day one, you are starting mm-hmm. to pay something on a monthly payment from, from the initial closing. Well, yeah. And I found it was like on one of the finance lending websites, I found the quote about construction loan that was just like the most terrifying thing I've ever written, read about financing because we were we don't do construction loans. So trying to put that seminar together, we were trying to figure mm. out, okay, well, what is the average cost? How do we even calculate what a construction loan would cost you? And it was like, it ended with, therefore, it is impossible to predict how much you're going to pay into this loan, which just yeah. imagine you borrowed money and you have no idea how much it's going to actually cost you. But yep. to, for the people who don't want to watch the half hour video, our average customer saves, I, want, I think it was $35,000 out of pocket and $45,000 in interest and fees. That's just poof, gone forever. That's so crazy. And once you, once you know that, it's kind of hard to beat us. Right. So you added pricing to your site, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. We always encourage that. Talk to us about the difference. And I think your previous site was not built on a home building specific backend. And that's one of the things that we, we talk quite a bit about with people when they're considering a website project is it doesn't really matter. Uh, I take it back. It does matter. but mm-hmm. When you consider non-home building specific backend content management system versus builder specific content management system, whether that's Homefinity, Builder Cloud, um, I forget what graphic languages is called. I guess it's, nah, I forget. But um, talk to us about the simplicity of maintaining because once you start putting pricing publicly, have it public facing, now you've mm-hmm. got to like it always has to be correct and accurate. It does. And- so we we did we partnered with O'Neill Interactive to launch the new website, and we. Historically, do you convert was actually the first home builder specific marketing company Tilson had ever worked with. Mm. Um, because it's always a struggle as an on your lot builder. We're so different than 
the typical community builder that it's almost a disadvantage to work with someone who's in the industry. Yep. So you have to unteach them what they knew and then teach them how, how you did it. So it was always typically avoided in the past. And O'Neill had already built some websites for On Your Lot Builders. So we knew that they, they understood. Um, so it was good to have somebody who'd already thought through the builder things that we have in common. How do you categorize your floor plans? How do you search for them? How do you show the, you know, show the pricing and, and all of that kind of stuff? So that has been a lot easier. Um, we, we are more complicated because our homes are actually priced by county. So my process for updating pricing, I can do it on the back end if I absolutely need to, but I usually just send them a spreadsheet because we have 40 homes yeah. with one to four elevations each across 138 counties. So I think it's like a 45,000 line spreadsheet by the time you're done. And I'm not doing that. Wow. So you just send them the spreadsheet and then they update the back end with the spreadsheet. Yeah. And I'm sure Which they have we, a semi-automated we write process. Our prices yeah. every quarter. So oh, that's, them that a makes it better too. What what about from an image and like just maintaining the site? That's so much easier because they already have everything built um, to take an account. And the way that we've actually set up the pricing by county, technically, you know, they have the whole master plan plan set up. Mm -hmm. So our floor plan is the master plan. And then every county underneath it has its own plan. Um, But it's nice because we can update the one and it just populates the others. Yeah. Originally, you know, it would be uploading multiple image, like the same image multiple times to Mm -hmm. to if you were building the same floor plan in in the same community. So the maintenance there. Honestly, with, with ours, it was so big. We just never, we didn't do it. Um, wow. we, just, we had the one because we could, that's another thing that we're, we're even different about in the built on your lot space. You can build any of our plans out of any of our design centers and any of our design centers, um, which in our language is the same thing as our sales center. Um, mm-hmm. they can build in any of our counties. So and you, you also can work them in Dallas work. to build a house in Houston. Yeah, exactly. That, so it is almost like a, it is a chain in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Each each location is a chain where, like you're saying, you might live in Dallas, own land near Austin, and you're letting people work with an office in the Dallas area yeah, right. during the entire process. Mm-hmm. And that's not unusual, especially with like the Hill Country area. That's where everyone in Texas kind of wants to retire to. So our other locations build a lot in that, sell a lot for that area. Um, and it's just more convenient for our customers to be able to go and pick their colors up in where they live rather than drive in four hours. Okay. Last thing I wanted to ask you about was your online sales team. How many, how many of them do you have? We have five now. And how, how many did you start with originally? Um, when I came years? on board, we had two. The whole thing is actually newer. They've only been there for two and a half years. Wow. So. And I don't know if we plugged that loop, but you were with the agency that Tilson worked for, for um, how many years? So I was at the agency for 14 years and then there was a year hiatus and then Mm -hmm. I came back and and worked directly for Tilson. So I've been there almost two years now. Man, that's that's a long two years. I feel like Dawn's a force of nature. I actually joke about like what we did in that first year. You know, I'd worked on Tilson for 14 years. We had opened (laughs) two new locations in that 14 years. I came on board and in that first year that I was there, we opened two new locations. And did a new website and yeah, you like pain. I mean, that 
And, and I'm again, I like things to be right. There was a lot to fix. <laughs> I know, but here's the it, normally, this is a big danger point for people is they load too much upon themselves. People who, I mean, there's first the reaction is either panic or I'm going to, I'm going to take this on. Most people choose the panic route, but then those who take it on, the majority of those people end up being crushed under the weight and they either end up quitting or being let go because they refuse to let go of things and they just get stuck. Mm-hmm. And like every time we'd, we'd talk about something and Donna would be like, yeah, I can, I can do that. And I'm like, wow, okay. And then the next time she's taking on more, but it would get done. And that's where I, I, I have to imagine though, if you hadn't had the 14-ish years of previous mm-hmm. Tilson experience, and that's kind of the reference for me was, okay, Dawn's a newer employee. She has that agency background, but I didn't realize the degree to which you had worked with that team because yeah, a lot of times when we are brought in, they've also recently hired someone or decided that marketing is an important internal resource to have and they want us to help train them. And that's when I'm like, just please go slow and, and do it right. So you survive through this process and you just you knocked it out. So we went from two to five mm-hmm. and they report to you, marketing, not they to do. sales. What was yes. that? Because it's really, I mean, I know we you refer to it as a sales position, but really that team it belongs with marketing. They're the end of lead generation. Amen. They're kind of I mean, your tell lead, me more. They're your lead fulfillment <laughs> system. So it's important that they report to marketing instead of sales so that you can keep them more focused on what they're actually meant to do, which is giving you better feedback about what the quality of the leads coming in are and actually being able to being able to make that call that hey maybe this person isn't for us you know kind of have that filter which they wouldn't have as much freedom to do if they were in a sales position and it's also easier to like draw the line at where do you stop the conversation because mm-hmm. it's not your job to sell you're you're setting an appointment you're not selling something so here's where you you drop you stop so and that way it also it it helps to keep sales from from moving them when they they need People? That is the biggest concern that I always have when it reports through to sales. And people look at me sideways like, you're really paranoid if you think that's going to happen. But it, oh, it's it totally going to happen. It happened twice to me at three of the builders that I worked for, where a sales manager or a regional sales manager was telling someone, like, hey, there's community A and community B. And if you could just kind of, you know, push people to community B instead of A. And they were both in that sales manager's territory, but they were trying to balance sales personnel or product and pricing challenges by coercing the online sales position into pushing the customer into the location that wasn't necessarily best for them. Mm -hmm. And that alone, despite all the other positive things you're talking about, to me makes a ton of sense. But I've also told Mike before that I think the online sales position is the ultimate lead attribution system. So we know how hard that is to get real attribution information mm-hmm. unless it's implicitly tracked by the, the site and the CRM. But when you've got an online sales position, to me, that is the ultimate... Like I'm sending traffic in at the top from all these different places. It's coming through. And if it comes through this position, it didn't come from walking in and and getting a business card from the salesperson. It can yeah, because, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and they're so, and they're just great for you know. Hey, here's what people are asking. What are we? You know, we go to them and say, Hey, what are you, are you hearing? Any new questions? Like what's happening? And you know, we know where to address new content. 
Um, if we, mm-hmm. if we keep getting the same question and the same sticking point yep. and by having them report to me, I'm, I'm in that loop. I'm in that group text. I'm in that group email of, Hey, somebody just asked me this. What is the answer? Um, so it's a more organic feedback loop rather than me going and saying, Hey, what happened? And they're only telling me about what just happened yep. um, as we know can happen um, with sales teams. Yep. Okay. Last question and we'll wrap it up. What is your favorite? That's an air quotes because it could, you can define why it's your favorite, but what's your favorite digital marketing tool in your toolbox? What, what's the thing that you'd say, this is the last thing right now I'd be willing to give up. If Eric made me come back and get rid of everything else, what would you pick? Honestly, at the moment, it's our Facebook Lives. Just because of how much interaction we get on them. And I'm going to knock on everything. We haven't gotten <laughs> any negative interactions on those mm. with our customers. And they're just so great for repurposing. Because that is one of the things that our customers have actually said to us about what's shortening our sales cycle is they're coming into that first appointment having watched, they say, every Eric video that exists. So it's just really, really helping to, to move people along. Yeah. And you're creating content, like you said, that, that, mm-hmm. that lasts forever. Incidentally, yeah. Eric sent me a text message yesterday. I don't know where you guys find these. If you have a Tilson Homes Museum... But kind of like once a month, I get a text message of a new newspaper article or ad that was written. Oh, really? Uh, and this one, <laughs> Eric says, before we were using Avid, we had our own internal data, evidently. This is from the Houston Press in 1959. <laughs> and it just shows a picture of uh, Jack... Allered. Yeah, Jack. Trying to make sure I read that properly. Mm-hmm. And the headline says, Tilson Builders President boasts all our customers in 1958 were happy. <laughs> <laughs> he just decided they were all happy, but apparently they are. Because I, I know, again, people listening, if, if you had to do mm-hmm. a, a lengthy Facebook Live on a regular basis, you would be cringing and, and ready to hit the delete key on comments very, very fast. So, Yeah. So, did, did Eric tell you my eBay story? No. What's your this, eBay goes, story? this goes into the, the weirdest thing I've ever done category, one of them. Someone internally in the company emailed me and said, Hey, one of my friends who collects old photography wanted me to know this. It, I, I bought pictures of my boss's grandfather off of eBay because somebody had the press proofs from some of those articles that you're talking oh, wow. about. So yeah, I actually wow. have the envelopes over here that I, I bought multiple pictures because it was just weird to me that someone else could. So I figured out I, about them. You guys are definitely going to one day have a museum at the rate you're going. <laughs> uh, you have, I mean, since 1932, you just have so much to, to pull. Yes. Well, Don, thanks for joining us. We'll let you get back to work and, and getting stuff done. But you know, hope, hopefully people learned a little bit more about what On Your Lot is like and is probably thankful for the most part, other than the happy customers, that they're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not for the weak. Not for the weak at heart. We, we joke around that we picked the hardest side of the business to be in and we just refuse to give it up. Um, yep. It's, it's still fun, but it is, it is, it is more difficult. Without yes, a doubt. for sure. All right. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much for having me. And we're back and we've got a second news story or news segment right here at the back half of the show. Just got a text message from an online salesperson whose builder, uh, their sales goal for the entire year 
was 72 homes, I believe. Okay. This is an online salesperson who says 51 homes sold in the past 60 days. 51. <laughs> yes. June and July. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> With a little like freaked out face. So I said, do you have homes left? Do you need to turn down your marketing? Are there all these new builds or spec? And she said, yes, we have limited inventory, but some. Majority of sales are new builds. We'll all have a good laugh and fun on our next call. We are well over 200 leads for this past month, and that's not a ton of crap either. So that's good to hear. All right. Honest feedback. I like it. It was live. Just keep keeping it, keeping it real here. All right. Answers to last week's question of the week on ad spend. The question was, are you spending more, less, or about the same? Then in January, February of this year, and it's a tie as of the moment between about the same and less. No one was brave enough to pick more. I was going to give you a hundred dollar gift card if you picked more, but no one did. And Jen Jen Walsh says we are spending as much as we planned for July pre-COVID, but we aren't spending anywhere near January or February money. So that's interesting. Basically, whatever your normal summer spend would have been, which would have been less. I imagine anyway, but more and more, it's got to be a consideration that you make simply because we've had more online salespeople crying, uh, just overwhelmed and they're making great money. It's not about the money. Um, they're making fantastic money right now because of, because of all this, but there can certainly be too much. All right. And this week's new question of the week was besides virtual selling or FaceTime, Zoom, take all that out. Any part of your has any part of your sales process changed? Have you added some design studio um, virtual capabilities or processes? Have you turned on DocuSign or before you were still getting physical signatures and everything? Does any any part of the sales process that you have adjusted? in order to streamline things, make them more efficient or provide a better experience. Have you fixed your drive-through yet? Maybe that's just what we should say. I don't think people like that. the heck we're talking about yet. Yeah. All right, a reminder, you can call in with your questions on this episode or any other to 404-369-2595, 404-369-2595, or email them to show at doconvert.com. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time. All right, see you. Bye. Bye.